And now it's time for another awesome episode of the Readily Random Podcast. Hey, you could be larger than life, bigger than the world, living out the hopes and dreams of every boy Hey, what's happening, everybody? Larry Roberts back with another awesome episode of the Readily Random Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about, man, COVID has impacted us all in one way or another. Uh, we, we've seen our life's patterns disrupted. Uh, we've made adjustments to either working at home or working remotely or a combination of the two. Uh, just we've seen changes across the board. We tend to focus a lot on all these negative changes, which there are plenty. And COVID is definitely a, a regrettable pandemic that took over the country and well, the world. But there are some opportunities that have come from COVID that we may not be able to see if we're not looking through the right lens. And the gentleman that I've got with me today, his name is Daniel Herskovici, and he is going to talk to us. He's a growth equity investor, uh, and he is going to talk to us about some of the changes in, in, in business, really, and, and what it looks like from a different perspective. You know, are we going to be working from home forever? We talked about supply chain. He and I did just in the green room just moments ago. Maybe we'll talk about how that got disrupted, and maybe now we understand what the impact is when something like that does get impacted. So I'm not going to tell you what we're going to talk about. We're just going to talk about it. So, Daniel, thank you so very much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I, I, I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Cool deal. So, Daniel, tell us a little bit more about you and what you're doing in regards to how you've adjusted to COVID and your business has adjusted to COVID. Sure. You just take a step. I took kind of a, a you know, I'm a, a growth equity venture investor, um, but I took a, a bit of a different path to get here. Um, I spent 20 plus years of my life in large corporate enterprise. So I spent a, a few years at Lucent Bell Labs at the dawn of uh, sort of cellular telephone in the, uh, in the 90s, uh, and then moved on to work uh, at Motorola Mobility during its heyday and working on things like the Razor and other products, the first iteration, first phones. I don't know if uh, I'm, I'm kind of dating myself. And if you look at the video, you can see my gray hairs here <laughs> telling tell you about a, a flip phone, but it was a product that kind of was legendary at the time. Yeah. Um, and then spent um, a, another long stint working for a large telecom called Comcast. And there I got to, you know, be in the center of um, kind of the dawn of Wi-Fi and how, why, you know, back in the, People forget, but back in the 2006, 7, 8, 9, you know, Wi-Fi wasn't in every handheld device. Wi-Fi wasn't in everybody's household, and and Comcast and, and other other companies like it played a big role in in driving that into the home. So, got a, I was lucky enough to to play a big role there. And then at the toy tail end of that career, played a lot in the smart home and connected devices, and saw the dawn of the connected thermostat and door lock and doorbell and garage door opener and connected alarm system and so on and so forth. And, and so that was a really exciting time. And, and I'm lucky enough to join a great company like Edison partners who are investing in, investing in technology and, uh, and helping entrepreneurs and dreams come true. A little long winded, but I, I thought it'd be good for context. It's kind of an unusual path to VC here. You know, what's been fascinating to me, especially in our business is that, you know, look, we're a, you know, we're a people-driven business. We're betting, we're betting on entrepreneurs and their ideas. And you know, prior to a year ago, a lot of that was done face-to-face. 
you know, meeting people, getting to know them, getting a feel for who they were and how they, how they behave. And now we're having to do that over video. It's been surprising how easy it's been to do that over video. You able, you know, you're able to have more meetings with more people than you otherwise would. Uh, but there's still something missing for me, you know, how, you know, breaking bread with somebody or, you know, talking over a drink, you know, there's just nothing, nothing that beats that versus the, the formality of a, of a Zoom meeting or whatever, whatever technology you're choosing. I got to tell you, because it's funny that you say that my wife and I were talking just over the weekend. Uh, so it was two or three days ago. And the, the conversation came up that I was going to be going down to a studio here in Dallas to record a podcast with someone live in studio. And we got to thinking and, you know, I mentioned that I recently made the transition to full-time podcaster content creator. Well, my last day in corporate America was January 4th. And my last day outside the house <laughs> was January 4th. So it's <laughs> other than my backyard, I have not left the house in over a month. Who wow. would have ever thought that was the reality? And I'm not upset about it. I mean, you know, I probably put on a few pounds, but nobody sees me. So who cares? Right. Yeah. I know the, the, the COVID 20, you know, it's a real thing. Big, oh, the COVID 40, if you're talking to me, but it's okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's one of those situations where you just don't understand the impact until you, until you start to evaluate exactly how it is affecting your day-to-day -day life. And I think more and more people are missing that. I, I couldn't agree more. I think, um, you know, we, I've had the, I'm lucky enough to have our offices be only a few miles from my, uh, my home here in uh, Princeton, New Jersey. But the reality is I spent, you know, four days a week on a plane, on a train, traveling somewhere. And that is all, that's, that's all stuff. So I, so I, I, so I haven't been as extreme as I left my house, but I haven't left my small town of Princeton in some time. You know, I don't mind it either. I don't miss, you know, being on a plane every morning or, or wherever I'm headed to. But, uh, but I do miss, you know, sort of meeting interesting people face to face, to be honest. I can't wait to get back to that. Yeah. It's, it, it's interesting too, because it's the same scenario. COVID hit roughly March of last year, end of Marchish, and I was at a big conference at the end of Marchish. As a matter of fact, when everything hit and they were starting to shut everything down, I was at a conference in Florida, and I met a lot of people that during that week at that conference that helped make this transition possible. If I hadn't met them face-to-face, -face, I don't know that these opportunities that even COVID played a considerable role. But I don't know that those opportunities under the COVID umbrella would have taken place if I hadn't had that opportunity to meet them in person that previous week. You know, that, that really brings, that's a great uh, segue to like your, your original question, which is sort of what, how has COVID changed our lives? I mean, I think in many ways we just talked about it. It's pretty obvious. But Salesforce just announced, I don't know if it was today or last couple of days, that they are going full work from anywhere. They're going to allow people to either pick working from home full time, working partly remote, meaning like being in the office only two, three days a week, or um, for, for what they're describing as a very select few going back to the, to the regular office in five days a week, six days a week, whatever the case may be. I think that is fascinating because that is a, like a, just sort of a fundamental realization of shift that, that, that everybody's had. I can't tell you the number of startups that we've invested in that have made the decision to go 100% remote. 
And I don't know that I 100%, I don't know that I, I'm going to see how this all plays out because I think that you miss, you miss collaboration. You miss, you know, bumping into people in the hallway and having a random conversation that sparks a brilliant idea. Um, and, and you have to figure out how to replicate that if you're going to switch to this environment. I do think there is a, you know, there's going to be this larger trend of work from where it makes sense. And I think that is like this middle example that Salesforce. So I think there's going to be, we're going to allow the employee to be a little bit more responsible for their own deliverables. And if it makes sense for them to work from home, let them work from home. If it makes sense for them and their team to be in the office, you know, Tuesday, they'll show up in the office Tuesday and be there or be on a client's site. They'll be at the client's site. And so I, I think that's going to be a trend. We'll see that more and more. The the way, and, that, and look, I mean, honestly, it's not that earth shattering. A lot of people, it makes a lot of sense. The question in somebody like me asks himself is, is sort of like, what does that mean? So what does that, what does that then mean? So what does that mean for real estate? What does that mean for what do offices look like? What does that mean for how do you recreate the bumping in the hallway? So I think there's going to be, I think, I, I think there's going to be a complete transformation of what the, the office looks like. I think it's going to be no longer you'll have the big, massive corporate tower, but I think you'll see more smaller satellite offices that are regional in nature and based where people, you know, migrate to because people are moving, no longer need to live. Nobody, everybody doesn't have to move to New York City or San Francisco to come to the Salesforce Tower every day, right? They can, now you have a lot of more flexibility and it's a lot different dynamic. And when you want to collaborate, maybe in Indianapolis, there's a, there's a great open loft space where 25, 30 Salesforce employees can show up and huddle and, and interact. And that's, that's good enough for them. So this idea of, you know, smaller satellite offices versus the large corporate headquarters is an interesting thing. And what do those offices look like? Do they look a lot more like WeWork offices as opposed to classic rows of cubicles? Because it's more about collaboration, interaction versus parking your tush for a day, every day for five days a week. So I think, I think there's a lot of interesting things going on there. And, and I think that, you know, now all of a sudden you have, you know, think, I always think of like set, second order effects and third order effects of, of a decision. So once you make a decision to allow employees to work from anywhere or work from me where it makes sense, once you make a decision that now I need to allow, I need to have employees have access. Like think about something silly, like, you know, now I have Dan that wants to show up to three different offices randomly at any different time. He needs badge access. He needs to be able to get to the floor. He needs to be able to do all the things he does every day that we're taking for granted when they're all showing up in the same place every day. And so there's a lot of software companies and a lot of infrastructure that gets developed as a result of that. I think that's an interesting trend out of COVID. I think it'll change the way people, you know, their work-life balance, their ability to sort of be home. The nine to five workday, I think no longer exists or it will start to fade away and it'll be, it'll be a lot different dynamic. And I, I just, I'm curious to see what entrepreneurs build around that. Let's know, how do I know that the office I'm going to has a, that I don't have a assigned desk at, how do I know there's a desk free? Oh, well, I need to know that, oh, well, not everybody's decided to show up for work on Tuesday at the same time. And there's 50 people for 40 desks. And how do you manage that dynamic? It'll be very interesting to see how it plays out. But net, net, I think it'll be better. I think that, you know, more people will live in, uh, across the U.S. as opposed to centered on in, around cities that, that might support a large corporate, large corporate enterprises. I'd like to dig into it, if we could, just a little bit more into the whole bumping into the hallways 
sparking spontaneous creativity and, and problem solving. You're the second person in two days to bring that point up. And it's a point that I had not taken into consideration because even when I was in corporate America, I camped out in my office. I sat there. You're not going to see me in the hall except for two reasons. One, I'm going to lunch and two, I'm going home. <laughs> so <laughs> what are some of your thoughts in regards to that? This, this, Because again, you're not going to have that spontaneity between uh, other employees. So first of all, I think you're going to have to, if you think, so let's talk about, I, I miss it in my, in my business, right? So I, you know, some of our partners because of health concerns or whatever reason are mostly at home. And some of us, two of us are mostly in the office and I miss them. I miss, I miss interacting. I miss, you know, instead of having to pick up the phone, call them, hope they pick up, ask them if they have a few minutes to chat. I can just walk down the hall and knock on their door and have a conversation. It's a lot different dynamic. I think you're going to have to have some sort of like collaboration software tool, you know, obviously Slack and others are are really great tools, but how do you evolve that to, to this environment and, and to spark collaboration? Personally, I brainstorm, like I need to have, like, I need to be in front of the whiteboard with a marker drawing while I'm talking when I'm having a conversation about somebody and brainstorming an idea. I just don't know how you replicate that. So I'm concerned about, you know, that's why I think, as you progress, there's definitely, I think work from home on a mass scale is unlikely simply because you need, in order to foster team unity, efficiency, collaboration, et cetera, you need to be able to stand up in front of that whiteboard, draw a picture and have somebody interact with you. It's just sort of my personal nature. I and mean, I don't think I'm alone in that. What if you could draw that though on your Zoom board or on your Zoom meeting? I'm seeing some some applications that are coming out. I just read an article this morning, as a matter of fact, about applications that are coming out that allow that are allowing for creative filters or creative backdrops. Or then, of course, if you're that poor Texas lawyer, and I don't know if you've seen this, it just broke <laughs> yeah, the, the cat. He, he was a cat. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> I'm, uh, really I'm, actually, <laughs> I'm here, Your Honor. I'm 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 not a cat. <laughs> so yeah, the guy had the. It was it was tragic. But how do we? How can we incorporate that and make it more acceptable? You're spot on, Larry. I mean, I think, you know, it's interesting. So yes, without question, just as I can stand, I can stand up at the whiteboard. I can, I can have a digital whiteboard to, to interact. And, and, and in the past, you know, you'd argue, oh, you know, not everybody has it. And here's this science fiction writer from, from a while back. His name is William Gibson. And he had a quote that I really love, which is, you know, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. And, you know, sort of prior to the pandemic, if you and I were talking about a digital whiteboard that everybody can share, you're like, yeah, that's a great idea. We can do it right now. But who the hell's going out and spending, you know, 750 bucks on a digital whiteboard or, or using their computer, or getting a digital pen and drawing on a pad to share on a whiteboard? Yeah, that's interesting. But the reality is we've all been forced to use this technology. Yeah. You know, our the companies we all work for have been forced and have invested a lot in this technology. And you're right. Maybe my example of the whiteboard can move to, to a digital interaction. And that's, you know, it, I'm very interested to see how that evolves and how that, how that becomes reality. I'd still, you can't pull me away though. I still want to see a face to face, interact with you and have a drink. If I, if I have to attend one more virtual happy hour, I think I'm going to like, you know, toss the drink over my head at this point. I'm going to a virtual marketing hub tonight at 730. I'm so stoked. <laughs> I can't wait, man. It's going to be awesome. If I have to share another virtual glass of bourbon with somebody, I, I, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. But, uh, but it, it, you know, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be interesting. I do think 
we will, the world will transform. And I think it'll be, my bet is, you know, this sort of two, three day a week in the office, as you see fit as a responsible team with goals and objectives that are measured and the rest of the time digitally getting together or digitally working on your own. I think that makes a lot of sense to me. And then obviously visiting, uh, visiting customers and clients, et cetera. So I think, I think there's a lot there and I think that it'll, it'll have a lot of implications to real estate, to collaboration tools, to just the way, you know, to uh, where people live in the U S over time, you'll see a, a population migration that will drive other implications in the economy. I think it'll be very exciting. So it'll be, it'll be pretty interesting. You know, I, th- I think you mentioned salespeople if, for a perfect example, you know, selling is much easier to do if in, and I mean, actual selling, not just someone buying a product off your shelf, but meeting face to face and selling a product or selling a service is much easier to do when we're side by side or face to face. And we're having that, that drink at the bar and we're sharing war stories and we're building that rapport and we're making the sale. That type of transition online seems like that would be extremely difficult. Do you have any thoughts on how we would do business that way? You know, I struggle with that. And that's, you know, look, I don't think, I think it's all about establishing a personal relationship with someone that you technically have never met. And, you know, video goes a long way. I think there's a lot of improvements that can happen over video. Like I'm not, I mean, honestly, I'm not looking at you in the eye right now. It's a tough dynamic, right? I'm trying to look at the camera and then I don't see you. And if I want to look at you, I'm not actually looking at you. And it's a little awkward. You're looking at me, but you're not really looking at me because you're looking at the camera and it's a tough dynamic. And let's face facts. Let's face facts, Daniel. If you looked at me right now, I mean, you're a very accomplished (laughs) businessman and you look on me right now and you look behind me, I got all my toys. I got all my lights. I got, I look like just some weirdo. You're like, why am I even on this guy's podcast? Other than it's one of the top 1% podcasts in the world. But aside from that fact, you'd be like, I am not doing business with this guy. This guy's not on my level. <laughs> it's all, all, all true. But what is he said it's all true. Side, on, the, on the flip side, on the flip side, <laughs> think about it this way. Now you're, you know, a typical salesperson spending, you know, what, 30% of their time on a plane, in a train, in a car, getting to or coming from wherever they were headed to um, or headed from. And now all that, and then the people that are meeting with were doing the same thing, right? So the, the, you know, and now you're in a situation where I can, you know, I could probably have twice as many meetings, twice as many interactions, maybe more over this Zoom interaction or, or, or Cisco WebEx or whatever video experience you want to choose um, or Microsoft Teams, um, not to plug all these products, but I just want to favor Zoom for any reason. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I could probably have five times the meetings, three times the meetings in a day, but otherwise we can have, because I have all this extra time in my hand. And maybe there's something to be said for speaking to somebody three or four times or five times over video that could have been done once, but you don't mind chatting with them, chatting with their team, chatting with their boss, chatting with other, gathering more information. Maybe because maybe people are more available, you're able to maybe learn more about them and what they need and, and, and have it be less of a relationship sale and more of a quality of the product in satisfying a need. I don't, I don't know. Time, time will tell. I struggle with it myself, but it'll be interesting to see how it all, all mets out. So anyway, it's, that, that's, you know, I think, I think there's, you know, there's other things other than work-life balance that have changed our lives. Just to kind of, you mentioned supply chain, you know, nobody even knew what supply chain was until, you know, we couldn't get PPE and to essential workers and everything ran out and realized that we're, you know, we're 
we optimized for cost and have like one supplier for everything. And you know, that toilet paper stops delivering in the entire <laughs> toilet paper. Right? Like, who knew that, that, that that's the dynamic that, that we would have experienced. But I also want to touch on another thing, uh, you know, a, a phrase that I coined the Pelotonomy, which is sort of like an interesting, you know, taking away from business and a little bit more to consumer. So think about it. Like the Peloton has essentially, you know, others have done it, but Peloton really propagated it at the high end, I would say. This idea of, they gave you a superpower. Peloton gave you the power of teleportation. So I could walk downstairs to my basement or to my living room, hop on my bike and be teleported into a spin class, a live spin class with leaderboards. And I can interact with my friends just as though I, you know, I got in my car and drove to the gym. And that experience was, you know, was earth shattering. It was expensive to start and was limited to the high end. And then, but, but I think they, you know, started to drive prices down, develop ways for more mass market to get the product. And they've done a fantastic job. Lots of, lots of, Lots of credit to inventing a category in my mind. But then the pandemic hit. And think about what you saw if you were, you know, if I was a, a personal trainer at a local gym or I taught classes at a local gym, all of a sudden, you know, business went to zero. And I was scrambling to stitch together Venmo and Zoom and assemble some of my favorite, you know, my favorite attendees, class attendees to kind of try to assemble a class real quick and rescue my, my business. And it became sort of really clear that, you know, Peloton had hundreds of millions of dollars of investment and built the technology to deliver this collaborative live streaming experience. But, you know, everybody from gold gym to crunch to uh, lifetime boxing to, I don't know, weight watchers. I don't know where all these people didn't know, couldn't couldn't accommodate. They didn't have that infrastructure. There's no tools out there that would allow them to instantly deliver their services over video. Well, and do you think it's because they failed to evolve? And I, I just want to jump in real, I, because I, I mean the the exercise market's been huge for decades. I mean, believe it or not, Olair used to be an aerobics instructor back in the day. And I, that's <laughs> impressive. Well, I was I was cardio kickbox guy, so at least <laughs> there was a little bit of toughness to it. But I did that all the time. But at the same time, Billy Blanks, of course, he, he dominated the market back in the, in the 90s with, with his Tybo. So that market's always been there, but you didn't have that dynamic interaction that Peloton came in and hit with. Why? Because I think it was because so all these people would need to take a bet. So, so no one knew whether or not the mass market would value and adopt getting their classes over video when they had the choice to do it in person. And, you know, it was always a wait and see, wait and see Peloton. Would and eventually I think if, as Peloton grew, this is come, this is classic. Like the future is already here. It's not evenly distributed. Something that might've taken five, six, seven, eight years to occur where, you know, the idea of getting your certain, and forget about fitness. There is, you know, learning how to play the guitar and piano. There is taking an art class. There is math tutoring, right? All these things that were done in person, I think over time would have been adopted by the mass market over video. But because like we were all forced to suddenly figure out how to get video working on our computer, all there's a shortage of webcams because everybody was buying a webcam to figure out how to get that working. Because we were thrust to get, you know, K through 12 education online. Now, 
Um, we bought the we bought into the capability. We got used to it. We got comfortable with it. We've demonstrated to all these other folks that um, we're willing to use it. At the same time, you get then have a bunch of folks that where the revenue went to zero. So they're forced to kind of okay, well, I have to develop an alternative, and I've seen this mass market adoption, and so let me go figure out how to deliver video services. And then sort of, I think as time evolves, once again, look, let's look past COVID. Let's look. Everybody's got a second shot of the vaccine or taking the vaccine, and we're back to normal. All the video equipment, all those experiences stay with you. And the convenience and the benefits of video, however much everybody complains about it, it's enormously convenient to click on a button and instantly talk to somebody. And so I can see a world where, where there's a desire for, I'm going to go to the gym two, three days a week. But you know what? The other two days I want to go to class, but I don't feel like going out to the gym. It's cold outside. It's rainy. I'm just going to take the Zoom. I'm going to take the class live over video instead. And you could see membership subscriptions, including video as fundamental and differentiating themselves from Peloton. And then, so then once again, same like work from home, what does that mean then? What needs to be built outside of that decision? Now all these guys need a clean, simple way to deliver video. They want, you know, do they each build their own video infrastructure? Do they each learn how to be their own IT experts or are there great entrepreneurs out there that are building great companies that simplify the end-to-end solution so you can push a button and deliver a video experience for your gym turnkey? You know, I think that is sort of a, a huge trend I'm seeing where, the, where, you know, talented entrepreneurs are solving the technical problems for these middle market, you know, middle market enterprises and allowing them to deliver Peloton-like experiences but to the mass market in a more meaningful way. And I think that is an interesting dynamic. I touched on it on a short blog I called the Pelotonomy. I think it's really exciting. Um, I've been searching for the right bet to make in this space. It's a very hot space and figuring out who to bet on is you know, what I wake up every day thinking about. Um, but I just think that's a, you know, an enormous change where, the, where we force people to experiment with a technology. They've gotten used to it. It's not perfect. But I think it's a great, it'll, it'll never go away. And I think people will always want video with. I want to be in person, but I want the option for video. And that'll be a dynamic that stays with us. So that, that'll be pretty interesting, um, I think. Maybe the solution is VR. Maybe. You know, and, and once again, there's a lot of great VR out there. I don't know if you've played, you know, it's awesome. And, and, and once again, there just needs to be the catalyst to drive drive either the cost down by sort of volume or drive market adoption, whether it's a killer game or a experience or something that pulls that into the mass market that will, that will ultimately drive that adoption. And I think that, you know, the pandemic, the lockdown has accelerated five years of digitization in six, nine months. So it's pretty, it's pretty unbelievable. I, you know, in my 25 year career, I haven't, I haven't seen it before. Are you seeing any others struggle with the adaptation to, to the new marketplace? I mean, are you, are, do you see some of your fellow businessmen and investors that are struggling to yeah, well, I mean, uh, adjust? I think, no, I mean, no, don't I drop mean, any names think, or anything. It comes, down to, it comes down to what I talked about before. Yeah, those guys suck. No. I, yeah. I, and, and, we, and honestly, <laughs> we struggle with it too. When we got past it, it's, it, it came to like, look, we're in the business of spending our time, offering our opinion and investing our money in great entrepreneurs and sort of making that bet, never meeting somebody when you spent 10, 20 years of your career 
trusting your gut, trusting your instinct on a team. Um, we're a little later stage, so we have a little bit more more evidence there, but still, you're still betting on a management team um, and a leader to, to bring it across the goal line. A lot of people struggled in deploying capital or investing in companies during this time. Um, we, we completed two or three investments. We struggled as well. We supplemented it by kind of over-indexing on the number of people. So the, one of the pluses is we got to meet way more of the team than we normally would. We got to spend way more time talking to people than we normally would. You know, instead of having to get on a plane and fly into Indianapolis or Cincinnati or the UK or wherever, and that, you know, so having to cram everything into a day, we could spread it out over two weeks and meet like half the team. It was just, a, it was a, there was a lot of pluses there. But I think a lot of venture capitalists, a lot of others struggled in the beginning uh, adopting to that. I think now we've got it down pat um, now, and we're coming out of it. Hopefully in the next six months, we'll see. Um, that's, you know, I think summer will we'll start to really, really be out of it in a meaningful way. But I think that's, that's where I saw them struggle mostly. That's cool, man. Uh, this is a conversation that we could have for a very extended period of time, but regrettably, this is one <laughs> podcast episode. So folks are going to want to, they're, they're going to want to know more about you. They're gonna, probably going to want to read your blog as well. Where can they find your blog and where can they find more information about you and your insight into the current market trends that we're seeing? I appreciate that. If you just go to the Edison Partners website, edisonpartners.com, or just search Pelotonomy, you'll see my blog. You can see me and, you know, you'll see a picture of me with, one of the first versions of Snapchat video goggles, which would be really cool. That's uh, oh, that's cool. Um, one of the one of the early things I got to play with early in my in my career. Um, and um, you know, reach out to me on LinkedIn and love to love to chat and debate debate opinions in the space. What do you think happened there? And, and I was trying to wrap up, but man, now you got me. You got my interest peaked with with the Snapchat video glasses. What do you think happened there? Because I mean, that seemed to have kind of fell off a bit. Yeah, that was like the hottest thing ever. Are you kidding me? That was uh, that was awesome. That was uh, you, they pop up vending machines and lines around the corner. Yeah. Look, I mean, I don't, yeah, the, the the fundamentally the if I'm being like super technical about it, like the quality of the camera in your, in this little thing you hold in your hand is so amazing. Oh yeah. You know, and the portability and the flexibility associated with it that you know, sort of the 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 idea of having a less quality real time camera, you know, in your glasses, I think, was just a novelty, uh, if you ask me. But uh, but I, I suspect over time that'll change as well. Yeah. I mean, heads up display to me makes makes a, lot, a ton of sense. Um, you know, I, I'm more wondering where Google Glasses went uh, than uh, the Snapchat goggles. Uh, yeah, I think they fell prey to the to the Snapchat goggle. You know, when that fell off, the Google glasses went. Oh, nobody's interested yeah, in this anymore either. So just a little bit of a yeah, a little before it's time. But I think uh, I think having information at your fingertips is is always uh, is always going to be desirable. And I'll hit you with this too because this just came to me. You know, I read today that uh, Facebook is uh, is working very vigorously on a counter to Clubhouse. Do you feel that, it, like with the Snapchat, the Snapchat glasses and cameras everywhere, do you feel like security and trust of information is really going to be a challenge that we have to overcome? Because, and, and I ask this because as soon as I saw the article about Facebook coming up with their own version of Clubhouse, I said, there's not a chance. It's going to fail. A, they're second to market. Two, they've already lost a lot of the public's trust as the, fa- the Facebook as a, as a, as a uh, social media platform and everything that goes along with that. 
all they're going to do is turn around and sell my, my conversations down to the highest bidder. So everything I say is going to be for sale. Do you think that's a problem? Do you think I, that that's going to be something to overcome? I do. The, I do think it's a problem. I think trust, public trust is a huge challenge. I'm a big uh, proponent for, you know, digital privacy. You know, I think that we need to, I'm not saying what they've done in Europe with GDPR is the right solution, but I think we really need to take consumer digital data privacy seriously here uh, in the U.S. and offer ways for consumers to uh, protect their personal information, uh, select how it's being used and monetized. And I think flipping it the other way, you know, companies, regardless of what, what's mandated or, or mandated by law, forget about that for a second, because I'm also not a fan of just sort of mandating everything. You know, I think companies that take a, a stance that they respect consumer data privacy and they offer tools to help you manage will be selected over others, right? So I, I think that there'll be consumer choice will also help drive, uh, drive action. Look, I'm a, I'm a dad with two kids, a teenager and a middle schooler. You know, once again, this is not the perfect solution by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, I ever, you know, leverage the, the iPhone, you know, screen time and, you know, parental controls religiously. And like the flexibility that gives me, you know, makes me, you know, makes me feel a little bit more comfortable about what my kids are, are, are doing every day. And I think just things along that line, giving consumers the tools to, cho- to choose is quite powerful. But Daniel, that requires some, some personal responsibility and... Uh, we can't have we can't have that <laughs> so i commend you so well daniel thank you so very much for joining me today i appreciate it this was our second conversation together and uh man it gets better every time so i really do appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to spend 30 45 minutes with me and have this quick discussion anytime thank you so much thanks man take care be good. Hey, you could be